This is the Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I'm Pastor Joe Faldet. Today we're looking at Samson made vulnerable, and what that means for us and what that means for our relationship. Our sermon today is going to be taken from Judges 16, verses 1 through 22, and I read in Jesus' name. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to her. And the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gates of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. And this, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with, with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men laying in ambush were in an inner chamber. And he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak like other men, like any other man. And while she slept, while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to, them, to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. When she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak like other, any other man. Then Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, and she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. 
And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other, at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But there have head, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the story of Samson. Lord, I pray that as we study it, that you would grant us the wisdom that we desperately need. Lord, that you might be glorified and that we might be built up and changed through this story. Lord, both that we would hope and fear. Father, we learn to love you more, for you are worthy. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So honestly, um, this is a sad story. I, I really pity to a greater degree than I've ever thought. I pity Samson. Now Samson has made, he, he's made foolish decisions. He's, he's done foolish things. Uh, he's isolated himself. He's, he's thrown away his relationship with his parents, uh, denied their advice and their admonitions. He's thrown away his relationship basically with everybody else. He's thrown away his relationship with the Jews. Samson has isolated himself in terrible ways. And, and so then as people isolate themselves, it's no wonder that they, they do foolish things. As Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, that the man who isolates himself rages against all sound judgment and seeks his own desires. I apologize, that's followed that paraphrase. But that's what's going on with Samson. Samson is raging against all sound judgment and he is simply seeking his own desires. And so how do we, how do we interact with this story? Uh, as, as we approach this, what's going on? Well, the author of the book of Judges has been gracious enough to give us a, a rubric. He has been gracious enough to give us this pattern. And this pattern starts at Gaza. Now with this Within this story, Gaza is the beginning. And what Samson does at Gaza is reflected in Samson's relationship with Delilah and, Samson and Delilah's relationship with the Philistines then. And so what happens at Gaza? So as we start out, Samson uh, finds himself a relationship. And, well, he finds himself a prostitute. And I'm not going to go into that to a great degree, but... During this day and age, prostitution was all throughout the culture, especially the ungodly cultures, and because their cults were fertility cults. And so in order to properly worship, you had to use the temple prostitute. And the purpose of that prostitute was to remind the gods how to procreate. It was to encourage them to procreate so that because through their procreation, fertility was brought to the land was the idea. And so, as Samson hires this prostitute, what he ends up doing is actually engaging in cultic behavior. And so, we don't, you don't see that at a surface level, but that's what's going on deep down into, in Samson's life. And as Samson seeks out this relationship, it's a relationship based upon selfishness. Because all prostitution relationships are based upon selfishness. I give you money, you give me what I want. That's the end of the relationship. It's shallow. It's easy. It's clean. Well, not so much clean because it actually creates other damages. Um, 
It looks clean from the outside, but it's not because people get tied into these things and it damages both the, it damages all parties. But from the other side then, the prostitute gets the money or the cult gets the money that owns the prostitute and she just gives the man what he wants and then they go along their merry way. Actually a terrible way to say that because it's not. But that sort of imagery actually reflects the way that Samson interacts with all of his other relationships. It's just impulsive. It's just shallow. He's just seeking what he wants, seeking his own desires, seeking his own plans, seeking his own purposes. A true relationship is a give and take. Uh, these relationships aren't. And so Samson, as he has isolated himself, it's, it's his relationships that really have suffered. Because Samson's a man that's under attack. And, and when we're under attack, when we have enemies around us, those are times when we need relationships more than any other time in our lives. Those times when we're in danger, we need relationships. It's our relationships that really strengthen us. It's our relationships that make us, as Nassim Taleb would say, anti-fragile. And I'll, I'll quote Nassim Taleb well, I'm not going to quote him, but I'm going to cite his book, Anti-Fragile, and I really encourage people to read that because it's the people in our lives. So, okay, take a step back. What is anti-fragile? Anti-fragile is that which is opposite of fragile. Fragile is something that's easily broken. It's something that when a stress comes into it, a shock enters into the system, the thing falls apart. And so that's something that's fragile. You, you take a porcelain cup, and you drop it, it's going to shatter. That's fragile. Now you get something that's robust, like a plastic cup or a rubber cup. A rubber cup or a plastic cup is robust in that you drop it, it's not going to shatter. It's not just going to break. It can withstand shock. Now there's another level and we don't have this word in common English and that's anti-fragile. It's something that actually improves through shock. Your bones are like this. When you're young and you're your bones undertake a number or a level of stress that's called hormesis. And so a small amount of stress actually will strengthen this thing instead of shatter this thing. It's not that this thing just withstands that small amount of stress. It's not that this thing just can hold off damage from that stress. It's that it actually is strengthened through that stress. And so our bones and our muscles and our cardiovascular system, they all exist in this state of being anti-fragile. If we give them this hormetic, meaning the small amount of stress, that they will then be strengthened against greater stresses. And it's relationships that create in us this anti-fragile system. If we have solid relationships around us, we will become anti-fragile. And it's through the stress that those relationships undergo. It's through the stress that enters into our lives because of the enemies that are around us. And we do have enemies around us, whether they be in the physical realm or in the spiritual realm, they exist. And they bring stress into our lives. But it's through the relationships we have with others that we then become anti-fragile. Because as our friends, as the people around us, see the darkness that is trying to push into our lives. They can then correct and encourage. They can admonish. They can exhort. 
And they can discourage us. Discourage us from bad ways. Admonish us from doing bad, when we're doing bad things. Can correct us and put us on the right paths. It's through the people in our lives that our paths are strengthened, that we are guided, that we are made not just less fragile, but actually anti-fragile. Because then we will be strengthened in our walk with the Lord. Now it's fascinating that as Samson enters into this relationship with a prostitute, that the Gazites hear about it. And they come after Samson in darkness. And they sit and they wait until darkness. They sit and they wait when the time that Samson is the most vulnerable thinking that Samson would be vulnerable. But they want to wait until the light. They want to wait until they can see because they know that darkness is a time when Samson actually has greater strength over them. Because he's just one man and they're a group. And so that darkness serves him whereas it doesn't serve them. And so that which is unknown is dangerous In the unknown, it's dangerous. When Samson's actions weren't known, it was dangerous for the Philistines. When they didn't know what he would do, it was dangerous. And so then what does Samson do? Samson wakes up at midnight for whatever reason. um, And as he's leaving Gaza, but Samson lay till midnight, verse 3. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. So what did Samson do? He didn't attack the people, but he opened up the people to attack. He opened up the city to attack. He opened up Gaza, the Philistines, to attack. He took away their protection. Think about that for a moment. That's what Samson's doing. When he's removing the gate, bar and all, the posts, everything. So this was a walled city. It was a walled city because, so that it would be defensible because they had the Israelites right there. The enemy was right there. For the Philistines, the Israelites were the enemy. They were right there even though they were subject to the Philistines. That enemy still lived just up the hill. So the Philistines had a walled city. And the key to any walled city is the gate. And so Samson removes the gate. Samson opens the door to the Philistines for the Israelites. And so when Samson does that, he removes all of their defense from them. He removes the defense of the Gazites and he shows all the other Philistines that they are not safe. Because all Samson has to do is come and grab hold. And the Israelites could come and attack. And the Gazites... And all the other lords of the Philistines would have no defense because they were trusting in their walled cities. They were trusting in their gates and Samson removed that which they trusted in. And that's what they ultimately do to him 
two. So Samson now falls in love with a woman. Samson falls in love with Delilah. Now we don't actually know much about Delilah. Um, what we know is she's a Philistine because the lords of the Philistines come to her. So the first thing I want to look at here is this concept of being unequally yoked because that's what Samson does to himself. Samson becomes unequally yoked with Delilah. He enters into a relationship with someone who's, who doesn't have the same goals. She doesn't have the same aims. She doesn't have the same pursuit in life. And so I talk to premarital, to, when I'm doing premarital counseling, I talk to couples about this. Uh, when we think about counseling, the first thing we talk about is being having or creating a Christ-centered marriage. And a Christ-centered marriage is a marriage where both partners are aimed at Christ. Now, both partners start out from different spots because they've got different families of origin. Even if they grew up in the same town, they're still going to have a little bit different culture because each house is going to be a little bit different. And God intended it that way. And even if they were had very same cultures, you still have one who's a man and one who's a woman. And as they get married then, they're supposed to start growing together. But if his goals are that way and her goals are that way and they grow in their relationship, how are they going to grow? They're going to grow apart. And grow apart. They might have started out close together, but then they're going to grow apart. But if they put Christ as the center and they're both aiming at Christ, then as they grow more Christ-like in their own personal walks, they're actually going to grow closer and closer together as a married couple. And so if you're having struggles in your marriage, you need to set Christ as your goal. Both of you do. Both the husband and the wife. Christ-likeness now becomes my goal. And so then as I grow closer and closer to Christ, I actually grow closer and closer to my spouse. Because the Christian marriage is supposed to look more like a triangle. As I grow closer to Christ and my wife grows closer to Christ, we get closer and closer to the pinnacle of that triangle. And then the distance in between us shrinks. That distance shrinks and that's to the glory of God. And that's what God wants. That's what God has always intended for the married, for the married couple. God would be that center. And as we grow closer to him, no matter how obtuse that triangle or acute that triangle, Nevertheless, the closer we go to grow to Christ, the closer we become to God, the closer we are to each other. And so what does Samson do? Samson falls in love with someone who's not like him. It's just like going to that prostitute. Right now, things are easy. But then as life changes, things become harder and harder. Because Samson, he married someone who's in this for the money. He didn't marry her. Well, we don't know if he married her or not. All we know is that he loved this woman. And so Samson fell in love with Delilah. He was unequally yoked. He was in it for his pursuits. She was in it for hers. They weren't in it in order to assist each other growing closer to Yahweh. Samson was in it for whatever reason and Delilah was in it for whatever reason. And so as they grew in those aims, they grew further and further apart and Samson became alone. Alone in his own house alone next to the woman that he loved. And that's a terrible thing. And that's happening. That happens in relationships all around the world. That's happening all throughout America. That's happening in Christian marriages. 
Christian marriages where both parties are Christians, but both parties, they're not seeking Christ as their aim. They're not seeking Christ as their goal. They're actually just using the other partner to get what they want. And so as they're using the other partner to get what they want, whether that be peace, security, comfort, whatever, whatever, physical pleasure, whatever it is, if you're using that other person to get what you want, you will ultimately end up alone in your relationship and then your partner, your spouse, will become a ball and a chain to you. Because if I am seeking wealth, if I am seeking money, if I'm seeking a big checkbook and my wife is seeking luxury, and my wife is seeking travel, or my wife is seeking ease, then what will end up happening is my goals are going to compete against her goals and then she will be a ball and chain to me and I will be a ball and chain to her. And that's a terrible thing to happen in a marriage because we end up being alone and dragging at each other and so then they become a problem for us instead of a blessing to us. And so we don't know what Samson's goal was for this relationship. We don't know what Delilah's goal was for this relationship when they both got into it. But what we see happen is Delilah selling herself and betraying Samson. Because as she's pursuing her goal, whatever that is, the Philistines were able, the lords of the Philistines were able to come in and hijack that goal. And so then she betrayed Samson. And he was in the dark this whole time. He didn't know because he was simply seeking his own wants. He was simply seeking his own desires. And so when Samson's seeking his own wants and his own desires, he's in the dark and that gives Delilah, let's call her Jezebel, that gives Delilah an opportunity to betray her, to betray him. Because Samson, he's just seeking his own stuff. He loved her. His emotions were inflamed towards her. but We don't know anything about hers towards him. She might have been infatuated. Who knows? But while he was in the dark, just seeking his own goals, his own pursuits, she awoke to greater opportunity. Because the lords of the Philistines came and she betrayed him. She sold him out. So then we come to our third point. Torment. Because this within itself contains its own torment. This is the tormented life. Husband seeking his, his goals. Man seeking his goals. Woman, wife, seeking her goals. Her own selfishness. This selfishness, it contains its own torment. Because now we see this torment at play through their interaction with each other. Now Delilah's goal is to get this silver. Delilah's goal is to get this money. She wants to become rich and she is willing to sell out her man for that. That's Delilah's goal. And so we see this play out in real time. We see this division happening throughout within this story. And it's just fascinating to see because as Delilah pursues the goal of her money, what does she do? She starts badgering Samson. Badgering, badgering, badgering. Three times she asks him and badgers him until he gives her a lie. 
And so then we see Samson pursuing a goal too. And that goal that Samson's pursuing is actually secrecy. Samson is holding himself back from Delilah for whatever reason. He's not trusting her at this point, which I understand. You know, because she's a Philistine. They haven't established this committed relationship towards Christ. They haven't established this committed relationship to become more godly, to become more like um, faithful in their worship to the Lord. They haven't established that in their relationship. And so there's going to be this separation. And so Samson's goal here is to maintain secrecy. Delilah's goal is to break open that secrecy. And so we actually see them at diametric odds. They are going opposite each other. And so then that pull is happening. That pull is happening within this relationship. And this is what oftentimes happens in relationships. People wonder what happened. We drifted apart. No, you actively sought the wrong goals. Goals that were opposite each other. So you didn't just drift apart. You weren't pursuing that central goal, which is Christ. And you opened yourself up to vulnerability. Because as they each selfishly sought their goals, that vulnerability opened up and Delilah became available to the Philistines. Think about this, that we may bind him to humble him and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. In other words, that's a lot of money. And so, both Samson and Delilah opened themselves up, opened up their relationship to that vulnerability. The Philistines came and broke down those gates. So what do we do with this? What do we do? How do we apply this into our lives? Well, first to the married couple. Don't be like Samson and Delilah. Okay, well, that's pretty simple. No, but it's actually bigger than that. Not just don't be like them. Don't be pursuing opposite goals. It's you have to set Christ as that goal. Christ as that center. Set the Lord as your goal. What does that mean? We talk about making the Lord, you know, asking Jesus into our hearts. What does that mean? If Jesus is in our heart, that means he's the hub around which the whole wheel turns. He's the center. He's the thing that holds it all together. And so now as a Christian, I'm called to make Christ my Lord. What does that mean? That means that I submit to him, first of all. That I bow to him, first of all. That I defer to him, first of all. That I trust him above all. And so the first thing that we do is we check our hearts And we make sure that Christ is in our heart, that he is our center. We check to make sure that he is Lord over all. That it's not, that we don't, it's not the government, it's not money, it's not some other person, it's not some friend. But that Christ is Lord over my life, that Christ is Lord over your life. And then as I get Christ centered in my life, I speak to my spouse about doing the same thing. That Christ would be center in their life. That Christ would be the goal of their life. 
And so as Christ is then the center of our lives, when he becomes our goal, when living in Christ-likeness becomes what we do, what we aim for, then all of the things in our lives actually work to make us anti-fragile because they can drive us to him. And as they drive us to him, they strengthen our relationship with each other and they strengthen our relationship with Christ. Hardship comes. We pray. Struggle comes. We pray. Fears come. We pray. We need guidance. We seek the wisdom that God has given us in his word. We seek the wisdom that God has given to godly friends. We seek that which God has provided. And now as we do that together, we can learn to become more Christ-like through the assistance of our spouse. That's what it means to make Christ the center of your marriage. That's what it means to make Christ the center of your life. You can't do this if you're unequally yoked. That doesn't mean you get a divorce if you're married to an ungodly person, a person that doesn't trust Jesus. You make Jesus your center. And then as you grow closer to that center and walking in obedience to Christ, you will be a witness to your spouse, be a light into their life, that they one day then might make Christ their center. You might have that fellowship within your home. This is what happened in Samson's life. This is what happened in his relationship. When Christ wasn't the center, the Philistines, the evil one, came in and bought Delilah. And so also the evil one will come in and buy one of us. If Christ is not the center of my home, if he's not the center of my life, then the evil one might come in and buy me. Or the evil one might come in and buy my wife. Because he can come and pull up those gates and open up that vulnerability. So what do I say to the unmarrieds? Those who are not, those who are engaged, those who are dating, those who are yet to be dating, what do I say there? Start out by making Christ your center. And then seek him. And as you seek him as your center, and God brings godly people into your life. You're looking to make someone your spouse. Find someone. Stumble upon someone who is also a godly person, who is seeking to make Christ their center. Because then you'll start out on that firm foundation of Christ being the center. You'll start out both seeking the same goal. And when you seek Christ as your goal, other people will show up. God will open your eyes when you need to see. If you have a burning desire, then ask God. Ask God to provide. Because he's the one that's powerful. He's the one that's wise. Don't seek someone just because they're rich or famous or beautiful or cute or whatever. 
Because odds are they're going to be seeking those things and ultimately you'll start to grow apart. But as you make Christ your center, godly woman, she will be praised. You know, that's the goal. Godliness. Because that's what Christ wants of us. And if he's our Lord, then that's what we ought to seek. And so then as hardships come, we become anti-fragile. Our relationship gets stronger. We get stronger. Not just in that marriage relationship, but through that strong marriage relationship, we can then bring other people into our lives. Help make them stronger. So that they might help to make us stronger. So that we can build this network of relationships that will withstand the stress and the shocks of this world. Because we, as Christians then, can all seek Christ together. And that's what a church is supposed to be. A church then is supposed to be a network of Christians, a congregation of Christians that are all seeking Christ. It's not just some place to belong. It's a network of believers that are seeking Christ with each other, encouraging and admonishing each other, correcting each other. That's a church. That's what Samson lacked. But Samson didn't know that and so he was open for attack. Just like the people of Gaza didn't know that Samson was going to wake up at midnight and pull up the gates. So Samson didn't know that Delilah was going to betray him, sell him out, prostitute herself to the Philistines. He didn't know that. He was in the dark waiting for his opportunity. So now as chaos reigns around us in America, people are feeling it. People are feeling it. How do we defeat that chaos? It's by making Christ personally our center and from there, finding others who have done the same and encouraging them and being encouraged by them, admonishing them and being admonished by them in our relationships with Christ so that we might build that network of Christians so that when hardships come, we might have encouragement. We might have faithful brothers and sisters around us to support us when we need support. Sometimes to kick us when we need to be kicked. That's how we defeat the chaos. It's through our relationships with others, but not just any relationship because selfish relationships won't get you that. But it's through relationships where each of us are seeking that same central point, when each of us are seeking Christ. Those are the relationships that make us anti-fragile in a godly way. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for Samson and how he shows us to some degree what we ought not be and what happens to us when we isolate ourselves in times of attack and times of chaos.
Lord, and so I pray that we would be wise and humble. And that we would seek you. And seek you in the midst of others who are seeking you. And hear their admonition. And hear their rebukes. And hear their encouragements. That we too might grow closer to you. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.